0: Okay, continuing our series called Bodybuilding God's Way, we are now in the second part of it and we have actually uh, talked about one of the five spiritual bodybuilding pieces of equipment that God has given us. And those five pieces are the Bible, prayer, church, people in our lives, and personal experiences. And in each of these five what we are calling spiritual bodybuilding pieces of equipment, We want to know three things. Number one, what will it do for me? And that's what we're going to talk about today. What will prayer do for us? Number two, how do I use it? And that's what we'll talk about next time. How practically do we pray? What's involved in it? And then number three, what kind of results will I see if I do that? And then we're going to talk about that in a few weeks. So today, we're going to start the part about prayer. We've already studied the Bible. Let's start with prayer today, and we're going to begin by answering the question, what will prayer do for me? Let's start in Jeremiah 33, verse number 1. The Bible says, while Jeremiah was still confined in the courtyard of the guard, the word of the Lord came to him a second time. Let me stop here for just a second. I'm going to give you two passages of scripture that I want you to look up this week. I don't have time to go over it now, but I'll explain to you what it means. The Bible says, Jeremiah was confined in the courtyard of the guard. What is going on in Jeremiah's life right now that would cause God to give him the verse we're going to look at, verse number three? I think it's going to be more effective if we understand what's going on in his life uh, when we get to verse number three. So, he's confined in the courtyard of the guard. What does that mean? Well, I want you to notice that um, in this courtyard where he's confined, he is in Jerusalem. He is a prophet. He is what is known as a pre-exilic prophet. Now, he kind of was not only pre-exilic, which means he prophesied prior to the Babylonian captivity, them being taken into exile, but he he prophesied for 40 years before Nebuchadnezzar took over. He then prophesied and wrote for several years after they were taken captive. So he not only told him it was coming, he experienced it. He lived through it. He was a part of it. And when this verse is written, the siege of Jerusalem, they're right in the middle of it. And let me show you what I mean. The first verses I want to give you, Jeremiah 32, and you can write these down because we don't have time to read it. But Jeremiah 32, verses 1 through 3, tell us that he was locked up in this courtyard by the actual king of Judah. Not by Nebuchadnezzar, but by the king of Judah, Zedekiah. He was locked up in the tenth year of Zedekiah's reign. Then, if you go to chapter 39, and you read verses 1 and 2, you find that in the ninth year of Zedekiah's reign, that's when Nebuchadnezzar started his campaign against Jerusalem. Jeremiah was locked up in the tenth year. So the campaign's already started. It's going on. In the 11th year, that's when the campaign ended. The whole campaign lasted somewhere between 14, 15, 16, 17 months. Somewhere in there. So it wasn't like Nebuchadnezzar walked in overnight, zapped Jerusalem, and then took over. It took a while. When chapter 33 is written, Jeremiah is locked up and this war is going on outside the courtyard. They're right in the middle of it. Now, Jeremiah knows what's going on because God had told him to tell the people of Israel. By the way, that's why he's locked up. The king of Judah got mad at him because he said, Why do you prophesy the way you do? Why do you say all these bad things are going to happen to the nation of Israel? Well, why did he say all those things were going to happen to Israel? Who told him to say them? God did. I mean, Jeremiah, I can just see it's not my fault. I'm just telling you what God said, you know. And and sometimes when God speaks to our heart, and and you know we're kind of on the rough edge of life, and God's doing a little discipline in our life. I know I get that way sometimes. Like, Wait a minute, why are you being so hard? I'm just telling you what God told me to tell you. And I have to realize that God uses people in our life, and we're going to see that when we get to that fourth piece of spiritual equipment and how God uses people in our life. But that's what's happening here. So here's literally what's going on. Jeremiah is locked up. He's in the middle of this conflict and outside of where he's locked up, the Babylonians are killing his people. The walls of Jerusalem in the city are being destroyed. Literally, Jeremiah's world is falling down all around him. Now go back to Jeremiah 33, look at verse 1. While Jeremiah was still confined in the courtyard of the garden, the word of the Lord came to him the second time. This is what the Lord says. He who made the earth, the Lord who formed it and established it, the Lord is his name. Verse 3. His world is falling down around him. What is God telling him to do? Call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. Let me ask us a question. Let's think about this for a second. Have you ever had a time in your life when you felt like your world was falling down all around you? I think we probably all have. Okay. Here's our next question. What was the first thing we did when that started to happen? Well, the answer to that may be determined by what part of our world was actually falling down. If it was the financial part of our world falling down, there were a lot of options we could have gone to, most of which were probably the wrong ones, but nonetheless, we went to them. If it was a relationship part of our world falling apart or falling down, we may have gone somewhere else. If it was physical health that was falling down all around us, we may go somewhere else. Regardless of the part of our life, they started falling down. Where did we go immediately? What was our natural knee-jerk, so to speak, reaction to get help for this part of our world falling apart? Charles Stanley, in his book, Handle with Prayer, says this. The shortest distance between the solution to our problems and our problems is the distance between our knees and knees and the floor. The shortest distance between our problem and the solution to our problem is the distance between our knees and the floor. Now, we can take the short way or, like a lot of us, we can take the long way. In most of our cases, we end up taking the long way. What does that mean? Well, in essence, what that means is I try and solve my problems myself Then once I've created a bigger mess, then I go back and take the short way. I hit my knees and ask God for help. Another thing. Do you find that whenever things are not going good, that as a Christian you tend to think about God more or talk to Him more often or beg Him to help more often than when everything's going great? I mean, think about it. Just be honest. Do you find that when things begin to fall apart or trials in our life, do we have a tendency to pray more and focus more on God or maybe take a real good look at my life to make sure there's nothing in my life that would cause God to have to punish me or discipline me or not be able to answer my prayer because I really need Him to help me right now. So I've got to make sure everything's okay. Versus... When everything's kind of going great, bank account's full, refrigerator's full, my heart's full, everything's going great, I don't really need God as bad right then. But the truth is, we need God that bad all the time. Because we are one heartbeat, one turn of a steering wheel, one test at the doctor, or one visit from our employer's supervisor from our whole world falling apart. It happens that fast. So what's happening in Jeremiah's life is he is in a place where his world's falling apart. You know what God says? Come talk to me. Come talk to me. I want to help you. So what does prayer do for us? Before we look at these three things, I hope everybody understands. Prayer is for us. It's not for God. We talk about this all the time. But prayer is for us. The Bible says God knows what we need even before we ask Him. So we're not helping God out when we go to God and say, Hey, God, we need sixty-four or $63,000 by the end of the year. I just want to make sure you know that, just in case you didn't know. I just want to tell you. God's not like that. God already knows what I need. God knew that a long time ago. God knew it long before I even knew that I was going to need to know it. God knows everything. So prayer is for me. Well, if prayer is for me, what does it do for me? All right, let's look at these three things real quick. They're all found right here in Jeremiah 33 and verse number 3. Look what God tells Jeremiah to do when his world is falling apart. Number one, call to me. Call to me. What's he telling him? He's saying, I need you to focus on me, Jeremiah. Don't focus on the war going on outside the walls. Don't focus on the fact that the king of Judah did you wrong and locked you up. Don't focus on the fact that you already know Nebuchadnezzar is about to destroy the city and take over. Don't focus on any of that. I need you to focus on me. Prayer causes us to have to focus on God. Three things. Focus is commanded in the Bible. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, the Bible says, Seeing then that we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus. In the NIV, it literally says, having our eyes fixed on Jesus. That's focus. When Peter, in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 14, verses 29-31, through got out of the boat and started walking on the water, as long as he was focused on Christ, he walked on water. When did he start to sink? When he lost focus. He started focusing on the things he wasn't supposed to focus on. He started focusing on his problems. He started focusing on the storm going on around him. Do you realize that emotionally and mentally, if you and I constantly focus on all the bad junk going on around us, we will become the most pessimistic, the most miserable, the most unhappy group of people you would ever see. I mean, there's a lot of stuff in life to make you depressed. You know who the happy people are? For the most part, they're the people that focus on God and realize, number one, God is in control of all this and he can fix it whenever he's ready. Number two, God's going to take care of me. I don't need to worry about this. And number three, and most importantly, they actually believe, number one and number two. You can say number one and number two. If you don't believe it, who are we kidding? Doesn't help, does it? Focus is commanded in the scripture. Number two, focus is life changing. As Peter, when he was walking on the water and lost focus, it just about changed his whole life. He started to sink. And the great part is, we're all going to get out of focus sometimes. And when we start to sink, all we got to do is say, "Lord, help," and He does. I mean, He never says, forget it. I'm going to let you sink this time. Thank goodness He never does that. He will always help. And, and we need that because we're human, and we're not always going to stay focused. We're going to get out of focus. Number two, there was another time, and I've listed it here, in Matthew chapter 26, verses 40 and 41. This is when Jesus went into the Garden of Gethsemane and he's getting ready to be crucified. Remember, he took Peter, James, and John, and he said, I need you three guys to go a little further with me. They walked a little further. He said, now I want you to wait right here, and I want you to pray with me. I'm going to go over there by myself so I can focus with my Father, but I want you to stay here and pray. Remember, he goes over there, and in verse 40, he comes back, and what are these three guys doing? They're snoring. Snoring away. Sleeping. What did He say to him in verse 41? In verse 40 He said, Could you not watch with Me one hour? And I think if you'll read the account in the Gospels, you'll find He addressed it specifically to Peter. The Bible says, Watch and pray that you do not enter into temptation. The Spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. That's why you've got to pray. What does prayer do for me? How does it keep me from falling into temptation? It keeps me focused on the right stuff. What happened not long after he told Peter this? Peter, you need to watch and pray because if you don't, you're going to get out of focus and you're going to stumble and you're going to fall. Not long after that, Peter who said, I will never deny you. Denied him three times. You know, the Bible says, not only did Jesus tell Peter he was going to do that, but you know, I, I can't help but to think, when Jesus caught Peter's eye right after he denied him the third time and the cock crew, I can't help but to think that Peter's mind not only went back to Jesus telling him, but that time in the garden not long before this where Jesus said, Peter, you need to watch him pray. And Peter's thinking, instead of praying, I was sleeping. I probably should have been praying. Prayer keeps us focused. When we're not, it can literally change the course of our life. All it takes is for us to lose focus for one second and make a decision that God never intended for us to make to change our life forever. Try that driving a vehicle. Take your eyes off the road for a split second and see what can happen. Focus is important. It's commanded. It's life-changing. But it's also controlled. I want you to take your Bible, turn with me to Romans chapter 8, real quick. Romans chapter 8, we're going to look at a passage here, and then we're going to go to Proverbs chapter 4, and we're going to look at a passage there. Romans chapter 8. Look at verse number 5. Romans 8 talks about living our life under the control or the guidance of the Holy Spirit. In Romans chapter 8, in verse number 5, Paul says this, Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what the nature desires. Those who live according to the sinful nature. What does that mean? That means that those of us whose life is directed and motivated and charged and directed by our fleshly desires, what I like, what feels good to me, what I want, those sinful desires. People whose lives are motivated and directed by those things, notice what the Bible says, they have their mind set on those things. Literally that phrase, having your mind set on it, it literally means to be focused on. So if if I'm being directed by Sexual desires or a lust for money or a lust for power or a lust for position or keeping up with the Joneses or whatever it is about my life that makes me do what I do, that's normally what I focus on in my life. That's the places I go, the kind of people I hang out with, the kind of TV shows I watch, the kind of music I listen to, the kind of philosophy and books I read. I'm feeding my mind. I focus on that. But notice what the Bible says to the contrary. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. They focus on that. That's what prayer does for us. It helps keep our mind focused on the things God wants us to focus on. When you have that time where you get alone and you get on your knees and you get with God with no other distractions and it's you and God in a quiet place. And we're going to talk about that next time when we talk about how to do it. And I will tell you, can you pray anywhere? Yes. We're going to talk about what it means to pray without ceasing. It literally refers to our relationship where God and I constantly talk. But that is not an excuse Not to have a set time where we get alone with God and let God speak to us. Jesus Himself got alone several times by Himself to talk to God. If Jesus did it, Bill Crockett sure needs to do it. That time alone with my mind emptied of the garbage that fills my mind every day. And it does, doesn't it? I mean, we live in a world full of garbage. And there's no way to get around it. I mean, we've got to face it every day. I need that time to keep me focused. Look at Proverbs chapter 4 real quick. Another passage talks about the same thing. Proverbs chapter 4 talks about guarding our mind, guarding our heart, which is our mind, our will, our emotions. Proverbs 4, verse 23. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Literally, out of it comes everything that determines how I live my life. So what am I supposed to do? Verse 24, Proverbs 4. Put away perversity from your mouth. Keep corrupt talk from your lips. Now once want you to look at verse 25 through 27. Tell me if this does not sound like somebody talking about staying focused. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Make level paths for your feet. And take only ways that are firm. Do not swerve to the right, Or the left, keep your foot from evil. What is the writer of Proverbs saying? Stay focused. Stay focused in your life. And the only way to do it is to guard your heart. And One of the ways we guard our heart is when we get along with God in prayer and we allow God to speak to our heart. Okay? So what does prayer do for me? Well, number one, it causes me to focus on God. Now back to Jeremiah 33, number two. Prayer strengthens our faith and our relationship with God. Um, We don't have time to talk a lot about this, but let me just mention real quick. The verse says, call to me, Jeremiah, and what does it say? I will answer you. Okay, i got a question for you. I want you to think about it for a second. Does God always answer our prayers? Yes or no? Yes. Always. If He doesn't, He just lied to Jeremiah. Whenever I ask that question, quite often I'll have people say, no, sometimes He doesn't answer. What we're really saying is, sometimes He doesn't say yes. If our concept of God answering prayer is God always giving me what I want, we got the wrong concept. That's not prayer. Prayer keeps me focused. Well, what am I focused on? Whatever it is God wants for my life. Prayer also strengthens my faith in my relationship. Well, how does it do that? Well, look at these things I've written here. Number one, God will always answer, yes, no, maybe. What does maybe mean? In God's mind, it means wait. In our mind, it means maybe. What is maybe? It's not yes, it's not no. um, My kids a lot of times will come to me, uh, Ryan and Rachel, and they'll say, Daddy, we want to, and they'll give me this business plan for what they want to do on Friday night. I mean, it's thought out, it's well planned. They're going to be good business people one day. And I'm in the middle of doing something else. And so they're giving me this plan. Now, I know that there are major gaps in this plan that I'm not aware of. And that's on purpose. Because the part about me having to take them somewhere and pick them up at 1130 at night has been strategically removed from the plan. So I don't have time to actually survey the plan. doesn't mean I'm not going to do that. It just means right now I don't have time to go through this and figure out, can I do that? So what do I tell them? Well, if you ask Rachel, she'll come and she'll say, Daddy, can we do this? And I'll say, maybe. Or we'll see. What does that mean? That doesn't mean yes. Doesn't mean no. It means I don't have time right now to think about it. We'll do it later. God sometimes, when we ask for stuff, He won't say yes. And He doesn't say no. He says, maybe. Or we'll see. That's how we interpret it. In God's mind, He says, I know what I'm going to do. I need you to wait. In order for me to accomplish what I need to accomplish, we can't do it right now. I can't give you the answer right now. It won't accomplish what I need it to accomplish. So we need to wait. Now that brings me to the next thing I've written in your notes. God's answer is always to accomplish two things. His glory and our good. Always. Always. Whether it's yes, whether it's no, whether it's wait. It's always because he's doing two things. He's getting glory for himself, or he's doing good. He's doing something in our life that is going to be for our benefit. And we have to get to the place where we trust that. In Romans 8, verses 28 and 29, and we know what Romans 8, 28 says. He works all things together for good to them that love God. In John chapter 16 and verse 14, the Bible talks about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It says when he's come... He will give glory to Christ because He'll take from Him and share it with us. So everything God does in answer to our prayer is for His glory and our good. Finally, or another thing, prayer is learned when it's practiced. Luke 11, 1, and we'll look more at this next time, but His disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. Unfortunately, when you and I became a Christian, we did not automatically have a Ph.D. in prayer. Prayer gets better and by the way, when we mean better, it affects our lives more effectively when we do it. The more we do it, the better it affects us. What is it doing? It's strengthening our faith. It's strengthening our relationship with Christ. And then finally, answered prayer strengthens our faith. And I've given you some verses here. Mark chapter 9, verses 14 to 29, and Jeremiah 32, verses 17 and 26. Give you a perfect example. We're praying for God to provide this money so we can reach our goal by the end of this year. If we pray when God does this, what will that do for our confidence about praying and asking God to do the impossible? We grow a little bit. Let me tell you how it really works. Right now, the worry meter is running at about a nine or a ten. Every time God answers a prayer and meets a need, it drops another point or two. The more we do it, eventually we get that worry meter down to around three or four. It doesn't ever totally go away. Unfortunately, we're human. But instead of it being nine or ten and us being worry warts all the time, the more we pray and the more we see God work in our life and the more we begin to understand how God works through prayer and we see Him answer prayer the way He does, that worry meter gets less. You know the people that are the most worry warts, including me? It's me when I am not praying as much as I need to. Every time I stop or I neglect it, that worry meter starts going up again. The moment I get on my knees and I get back into my regular practice of prayer and get focused again, the worry meter starts to go down. That's what prayer does for us. And then finally, number three. Prayer helps give us guidance according to God's plan. Call to me. I will answer you. And notice what he says. I will tell you great and unsearchable things that you do not know. I wish I had more time to spend on this. I don't. Um, let me give you two things. The Holy Spirit is our guide. And I've given you the verses. John 16, verses 13 through 15. John 14, verses 25 and 26. Romans 8, verses 12 through 16. And Romans 8, 26 through 28. The Bible says the Holy Spirit guides us. He brings to our memory things we've learned. Let me tell you what happens when you and I pray. When you get alone with God, and you get in a place that's quiet, and it's just you and God focusing on what God wants for your life, God will put things in your heart and in your mind based upon what He wants you to do. David. When David went to the the rulers of Israel, he said, God has put in my heart this. And he was talking about building the temple. Jesus, on the Mount of Transfiguration, was transfigured in front of all the, the, the three guys. You know what the Bible says? When he was transfigured, the Bible says while he was praying, this happened. Do you know when Daniel got his vision about the 70 weeks of Daniel and what God was going to do with the Israelites? While he was praying, God came to him and gave him that vision. You know, if all prayer is to us, is some religious act we've got to go through the motion for to somehow get God to like us and give us what we want, that's why we don't do it. That's why we don't do it. When prayer becomes a real communication time between us and God, All of a sudden, that 30 or 40 minutes early in the morning becomes the most important time of my day. Because I know that when I get there and I get on my knees and I put my head in that couch and I approach the throne of grace and I empty my mind of everything else going on in my life, good and bad, and I talk to the literal Creator of the universe, who has the power of life and death in His hand. And I know He can do whatever I ask Him to do if that's His purpose. And while I'm talking, do you know when my worry meter goes to zero? At that moment. There literally have been days that I emotionally was so distraught, I was ready to give up. I go straight to that place now. By the way, I just developed that place about three months ago. It's been missing for a long time. And when I began to prepare for this series, God told me this is missing. I went back three months ago. And that's when everything started happening with God leading me into the ministry and God changing things. And I will tell you now, can't tell you what it is. I am praying in that place for things, situations, people, ministries, and I already see God doing those things. When you know that's what that place is, all of a sudden, it's not quite as hard to go there. But if all it is is some kind of spiritual act That you do to try and get favor with God. Or we don't understand what it is. Or we don't know how. Then we don't ever do it. So that's why next time. We're going to talk about. How do you do it? How do you go to that place. And pray in such a way. That those kind of things. Really start to happen. In our life. And that's what we'll talk about next time. I've given you several examples here. Of men in the Bible. That God. Work through as they were praying. I hope you'll take time this week to read those. All right, Father, thank you for the privilege to talk to you. Thank you that prayers for us as we do it bring us back to focus, strengthen our faith and our relationship. Lord, give us guidance, guide our minds, put in our heart and our mind the ideas and the things that you want us to think and the direction you want us to go and the attitudes you want us to have, put those in our heart and our mind while we're praying. Father, bless our time now as we gather and encourage one another and pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, got about 15 minutes. Let's go to our small groups. Men over here, co-eds over there, and ladies over here.